Two videos, all right? Now the question I want to ask you as you watch those is which one of those videos feels more accurate to depict your life? <laughs> Some people feel called out. Which video feels more accurate to depict your life or, better yet, let's impersonalize it so you don't feel so called out, real life? Is it the first one, the Honda car commercial, which is one of those fancy machines where every single task is meticulously placed, measured and monitored, tried over and over and over again so that it could lead to this one perfect conclusion? Or is it more like the second video? Where if you missed it, the lady makes this just boneheaded decision to get her Instagram picture. And I'm calling you some of you out on that. You know, like they're getting their Instagram picture and she causes this crash, which one biker hits the sign, which causes almost all the other bikers to, to fall down. Right? This made global news, this story, because it was such a big deal of what she did in that moment. But it's complete chaos. I mean, if you were watching the rest of the video, you'd see all of the, the bikers trying to put together their bikes, find new bikes, run around, cars, people, media. Like, it's nuts what happens in this scene. But which one of those two feels more accurate to depict real life? The perfect order or the complete chaos? Tonight, we'll be wrestling with the question or the statement, better yet. When it comes to toxic theology, we're going to talk about everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. In this statement, it is easily above and beyond probably like 10 times as popular as any other statement we've looked at in this series. I mean, we've hit some doozies, but everything happens for a reason is as, as popular a statement as it gets. That this has become core doctrine for some people. That as you look across cultures and continents, across religious affiliations and belief systems, this statement has woven its way into the fabric of society. People come and they say everything happens for a reason. But before we get to why this is so commonly said, so it has such incredible frequency, I want us to understand why it might be said, period. Have you ever stopped to think like, why do people say the things that they do? I texted my 8th grade brother this morning because he, I mean, he's an 8th grader. If you hang out with middle schoolers, you kind of get it. But he's also on TikTok. And the combination of middle school and TikTok make him a very fascinating creature. And he, he always has this language that he's saying, like, Riz? I feel like a dinosaur. Or like today, I texted him, I said, what's a word you say that I don't know? And he's like, have you ever heard of the word dupe? And I was like, no. Like, I've never heard the word. Apparently, it's like the off-brand of something. I was like, why can't you just say off-brand? But he's a middle schooler, so. But why, why do we say the things that we say? Right? We, we, we say these words. We make up these statements. There's these, these things that become intrinsic to how we do life. But do you ever stop to wrestle? Why do you say the things you say? When it comes to the statement, everything happens for a reason, this phrase is usually said in response to difficult situations. In difficult situ situations, <laughs> we've got a lot of those, right? They're everywhere. They're, they're the song that we just sang, as we sing it and you declare that God is faithful and he will provide, you remember all of the situations you have walked through, the situations you're in, and the situations you will walk through. Like life is, is, is soaked in, in sin. There's this hardship that accompanies our reality trying to live in this broken creation. And so difficult situations, they're always going to be there. And as people have walked through life over the years, this mantra, or better yet, I should say this platitude, has filled people's moments of pain trying to respond to the question, why, when it comes to broken situations. 
It's used in the midst of brokenness. And as people, we long to answer the question, why, when it comes to pain. When we experience things we don't like, when our comfort is shifted, or we find ourselves in the midst of a struggle, we wrestle with this question, why? Why do I have to walk through this? Why infiltrate some of life's deepest, toughest moments? Why, when you had that job and you got laid off or you got fired and you're sitting there thinking, I thought this was my career. I loved this job. I loved this place. I thought this was what I was supposed to do, but, but you, had, you, you were removed from that space for whatever reason and you sit there and you wrestle with why. You had a dream, whether it was with college or young adult life, but you had this thing that you thought this is where God was leading you and all of a sudden, as quickly as it came, it was gone. It vanished. And that dream, it died before your eyes and you sit there wrestling with why? Some of us, we lose loved ones. And in the midst of the loss, in the grief, this question, it it finds itself right there. Why? This question of why, it, it is right at the forefront of our pain. And as you walk through the question of why, here's the difficult part. It seems like a simple question, but as people, we can't sufficiently answer that. We don't know why everything happens. And you will find yourself in situations, I I promise you, many of you already have, where someone alongside of you is walking through a difficult season. They are experiencing the pain and the brokenness of this world, and they will look to you and they will ask the question, why? And in that moment, you want to do everything possible to help the person you love, but I pray, and I I have prayed all week, that we would not answer with this false toxic theology, well, everything happens for a reason. Because even in our greatest hope and desire that this would bring purpose to their pain or peace in the midst of suffering, we can't give them what isn't fully true. We don't know. We don't know why everything happens. Only God knows why. 1 John 3.20 will tell us God knows everything. And so when we find ourselves wrestling with this question, we have to recognize our finiteness. We are in control. We don't have all the answers. So despite your best intentions, when we're in that moment, it takes this deep abiding humility in Jesus to say, I don't know. But tonight as we look at God's word, We're going to open up and hopefully find a better answer than everything happens for a reason. So if you have a Bible, flip open to Romans 8. And as you flip there, I'd love to pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Paul and his faithfulness to pen it. I pray that we would have our eyes open to the truth of your scripture here and that by your spirit you would speak. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8, verses 18 through 23. Paul says here, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await 
for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In this text, Paul is clarifying the pain of creation. He's talking to us through the struggle of what is creation. In a lot of ways, he's answering the same question we're wrestling with. Why? Why would God allow his creation to experience this pain? And as he's answering that, he says things in Romans 8, 19 through 22, like the creation waits. Anybody like waiting? The creation, it was subject to frustration. (laughs) Have we not been frustrated? He also talks about it is in bondage to decay, and I can't help but remember the times I have smelt decay. (laughs) In in the imagery of this, it's, it's, it's bad. But yet he summarizes the whole thing when he says the creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. Now, none of you want me to talk about childbirth, right? Like... So instead of me talking about it, I'm going to make you watch this video of someone giving birth. So go ahead, Noah. No, I'm playing. (laughs) That would be messed up. But some of you just got PTSD, back to health class, and you're like, no, please. No, no, but we get it, right? Like, personally, I don't understand childbirth. Like, I'm a dude. It's never going to happen for me. But like, I I understand, at least the bare minimum. I understand that childbirth is probably one of the most painful things, and so I've been told, that can ever happen to a person. Like, it's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but oh my gosh, painful, right? And that's the metaphor Paul's using here. That creation is experiencing childbirth, the agony, the deep, the deep despair. That it is suffering, and as part of creation, you and I, we suffer because of sin. Verse 23, he highlights our portion of it. He says, not only so, but we ourselves, who, are the fir- who have the first fruits of the Spirit... We groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That we have pain. We have hardship. We have struggle. We groan right alongside creation. To highlight this, I was thinking this last week of places where I haven't, I I can't reconcile the pain of the world with the, the God that I know. And one of the first ones I came back to was my first mission trip to Africa. I was graduating and I was, I was gonna come to college, but I had a, a, a trip lined up through my youth group, and we flew over to Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya, and it was beautiful, like an amazing, amazing, amazing city. If you get the chance, you absolutely need to go. But when we got there, we got on a bus, and we drove three hours east to the village of Tawa. And when we got to the village of Tawa, I will never forget it, how amazing it was. The community was gathered kind of in the town square, and they were clapping and cheering and excited, children and fathers and mothers just overwhelmed with joy that we would come to spend two weeks with them. I was, it was so, so amazing, yet at the same time, I felt, felt myself confused because we had done some pre-trip work, some planning, some learning, and I had learned that one of the things this village suffered with was severe mal- malnourishment. And when I got there, I looked at these kids who were so happy to see me, and I noticed, it, and many of them didn't wear many, much clothes, and I noticed many of them had, like, big bellies, And I remember I sat down at dinner that night with one of the trip leaders trying to reconcile what was my experience with what I had learned, and I just didn't understand, right? If these people who who were suffering from starving, why did they look like they had plenty? And he had to open my eyes in that moment and tell me that was a symptom of their malnourishment, that there's this thing that happens in the human body when it doesn't get enough proteins, that fluids can start to fill the abdomen and make it appear bloated and swelled. 
And so the very thing I thought was the blessing of God was actually the, the problem of pain. And it struck me. And to this day, I still wrestle with where is God in that? Where is God when children across the world, children in our community, suffer and starve? Speaking of our community, there is this amazing organization called Sleep in Heavenly Peace. They build beds for children in our community, and their mission is that no child would sleep on the floor. In the four and a half years they've been here in the Brookings community, they have made almost 2,000 beds for kids. And I rejoice with them. I think that's amazing. But at the same time, my heart breaks thinking there were 2,000 kids who used to sleep at the, on the floor in our community. And there's another probably 2,000 kids right now sleeping on their floor tonight because they don't have a bed. And I sit back and I think, where is God in that? In your own story and struggle, you've wrestled with things. I know you have. It's part of living this life. And as you look back, do you ever just ask, like, where were you in that, God? Was there pain? Yes, but was there purpose to the pain is the deeper question. Does everything happen for a reason? With that in mind, I want to introduce you to one more verse from Romans 8. It's Romans 8, 28. And Paul writes here, and we know. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This right here is Paul's response to all of our questions. This, this question, why has God allowed his creation to suffer pain? This is Paul's response. The last couple of minutes we have spent talking, this is Paul's response. And you know what it kind of sounds like? It kind of sounds like everything happens for a reason. Right? He left it up here for me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And I sit back and I think, well, I mean, if we rearrange some things, like God works all things for good. That kind of sounds like the car commercial. That honestly kind of sounds like every single thing is meticulously placed, measured, and monitored so that it meets a perfect end. That every single struggle in your life, every single pain that you walk through, every single hardship, that God has placed that there perfectly so that it would form us and shape us so that we would meet his end result, which is his will. That's what it sounds like. But check this out. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That two-letter word about a third of the way into the sentence, it's just a small little thing. For many of us, it's just a filler word. But when we understand what Paul is saying here, it actually kind of flips that idea on its head. Check this out. Can I teach you a little English lesson for a second? Yeah, we're okay with that? Do you know... That every single sentence must have two things. One, a subject. So someone to act. Two, it must have a verb. Something to do. Go ahead and put that practice. I got Brennan reads. Alright. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to, you gotta start easy. So Brennan reads. So come on, someone tell me my subject. Brennan, good. Verb? Reads. Give yourself a round of applause. Let's go. Good, good, good. Subject, verb. It's the baseline of what every sentence must have. Now, are you ready for something a little harder? Okay, yes. Okay, good. I was nervous. There can also be in a sentence both a subject, a verb, and an object. 
And an object is the thing receiving the action from the subject. Why don't you put up that next one for me? Brennan reads the Bible. Mm, that's a good pastor. Brennan reads the Bible. So same subject, same verb, but now we have an object. Because the thing I am acting upon is the scriptures. We got that? We understand? All right, Romans 8.28, one more time. Will you put that up there for me? Thank you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who is the subject? Who is the one doing? God. Now, what is God doing? What is our verb here? Works. God works. Complete sense. It could be ended right there. But Paul gives us something else. And here's where it gets a little tricky. Because it can be confusing on which God is working. What is God working on? What is he working in, specifically? The object here is the word in. These two little letters that are, that, are, that are placed there that many of us can look over with our eyes, but the beauty of the word in there is it changes the way we read this verse. We've been evaluating the statement, everything happens for a reason, and I have yet to answer it for you. Right? Some people are probably maybe frustrated by that, but I haven't given you a clear answer. Does everything happen for a reason? Technically, yes. Yeah, it does. Technically, every single thing in life happens for a reason. But don't tune me out here. Because that might not mean what you think it does. Because everything happens for a reason, but the reason everything happens isn't God. Everything does happen for a reason. There is cause and effect to every single thing in life. But every single thing isn't because God did it. Let me explain that more. As Christians, we have some theological ideas that we can fall into the trap of combining. One of those is that God is omniscient, right? That's, that's fancy language to tell us that God knows everything, that he knows who would come here tonight. He knows what will happen when we leave. He knows what I would preach, every single word, every single syllable. He knows. Yet at the same time, we believe that God is sovereign. In his sovereignness, we believe that God has the power to control all things, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that can overthrow or overcome God. He is sovereign. Yet the trouble becomes when we misalign those two theological ideas and come up with the, the statement, God controls everything. Because what is true in God's sovereignty and what is true in his omniscience does not mean that he controls everything. Yes, does he know about it? Absolutely. Could he stop it or do it if he wanted? 100%. But there are things in this life that God has left alone. There are other factors at play. And we're going to look at them. There are other reasons things can happen. And this list is not exhaustive. It's just a couple that I want us to start to wrestle with. The first one is this. It's personal choice. Do you recognize that God has given you free will? That there are decisions you make every single day that you make independent of God, right? I hope you make them, excuse me, let me rephrase that. You make decisions every single day that you have made. God knows about them, he could change them, but he has allowed you to make them. Like Mason, will you come up here for a second? Yeah, come on up, yep. This is my brother-in-law, Mason. But save some of your claps, save some of your claps. Mason today got engaged, yeah! 
Now, Mason, did God make you get engaged? Good answer, good answer. Mason made that decision. Did God know about it? Yes. Could God have stopped it or made it happen if he wanted to? Yes. But Mason made that decision, and Grace, his fiance, said yes. Let's go. All right, you can sit down. Thank you. Thanks for being a good sport. But they made those decisions, right? God's active in it. He's involved in it. But they had the personal choice there. Another thing, another reason things can happen is sometimes it's just random chance. In high school, when I was a sophomore, I was playing soccer. I played on a club team, so we played all year round. And while I was playing on this club team, it was right in the middle of track season. But don't think anything about that. I was only on the track team because I liked hanging out with my friends. And I actually was on JV, long jump. And over the whole entire season, I never once jumped in a sand pit. It was probably my greatest feat in high school. I didn't want to get dirty. He was like, hey, it's your turn to jump. And I'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom, right? Like, went to the bathroom all the time. But it was the, the Saturday before my first meet. So I was going to have to jump in the pit. I was so sad. Like, my shoes were still clean. If you know me, I really like my shoes clean. But I was going to have to jump in the pit. And all of a sudden, I was playing this soccer game. And I slid in to take the ball away from someone. And when that happened, they, they tripped and they fell on me. In my ankle, it was folded in just a certain way that the snap of the bone could be heard from the sidelines. The next thing I know, my dad is whipping the minivan onto the soccer field, throwing me in the back. My brother at this time is like six. He is weeping. He thought I died. Like, it, it's just, it's wild. But did I choose that? Right? Did, did he choose that? The guy who fell on me, he probably was happy about it. But he, you know, did God cause that? Maybe. But it could have just been random chance, too. There's a third reason I want to talk to you about, and that one is natural order. Ooh, natural order. Uh, I'm 25 and my voice still cracks. Lord, deliver me one day. But natural order, right? We live in Brookings. Everybody okay with that? Well, some of us, most of us. But Lord Almighty, it's going to snow again this week, and it's April. I'm done. I am done with the snow. But here's the thing. Here's the stupid, 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 stupid truth. That when it drops below 32 degrees, the water in the air freezes, and it falls to the ground as stupid white snow. And it lands on the ground, and I pray, Lord, to like, take it away, take it away, take it away. But it's still there. It's April, and it's still snowing. And I sit back and think, God, where are you in this? Part of that is just the natural order of the world. He has created it in this way and it exists in that way. So every time it drops below 32 degrees and it, there is participation or precipitation in the sky, it's going to rain or it's going to snow. That's how it works. The last reason, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but one that I wanted us to just start to wrestle with, is yes, there is divine interaction in this world. There are absolutely things in your life and in mine that God has 100% had his hand on, organizing and leading and placing things perfectly to his greater goal. 100% in my life, standing up here tonight, I believe is God's hand and God's hand alone. That if it was up to me, I would never have become the Oasis pastor. If it was up to random chance, I promise you I wouldn't have become the, ran the Oasis pastor. But for some reason, I stand up here tonight and I, I truly, 100%, 1,000% believe that it's because God has been active in my life and he wanted me here. And just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that's exclusive to me. He has moved in all of your lives. Every single one of your lives, there are moments where God has been sovereign and he has taken control and he has led you to something. 
And that's beautiful. And I don't want you to hear that that doesn't happen because it does. I've seen it over and over and over again. I'm just saying it's not the only reason things happen. There are other reasons things happen. Everything happens for a reason. But the reason everything happens isn't God. And here's why this distinction is so important. is because the line between God being the reason for everything and God being to blame for everything is razor thin. That if we fail to recognize that there are other reasons in this world besides God, it can turn super toxic and we can start to blame God for the pain of this world. Right? When we make God the reason for everything, it can tarnish our view of God. Let's just say you fail at something. Pick it, whatever you want. Whatever you want to fail at, right? School, work, relationships. You, you pick what you fail at now, okay? When you fail, if you believe God is the only reason for everything, then he did that, right? That's okay. Like, we, we can maybe get behind that idea, maybe. Like, he did that. But check out this slippery slope that we can slide into as we start to believe that God is the only reason for everything. If he did that, Maybe it's because he didn't want you to succeed. Right? Logic, it, it kind of makes sense. If we failed, maybe God doesn't want us to succeed. But it quickly divulges into, maybe God never wants you to succeed. Maybe God doesn't have your best in mind. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe he doesn't love you. And this is just a surface level example of how tricky this theology can become when we don't clarify it. If God is the reason for everything, did he cause the Nashville shootings last week? If God is the reason for everything, did he give that family member of yours cancer? If God is the reason for everything, is every single evil fallen part of creation God's fault? Every war, every natural disaster, every pandemic, the list goes on and on. And I question and I say, does that sound like God? It doesn't to me. Yet this is what the enemy does. He takes what it could be semi-false theology and he weaves these lies into it and he gets us to this place where we start to doubt God's legitimacy, his goodness, and his love. I have walked alongside people who literally hate God because they think he's to blame for every single bad thing in their life. They think God is out to get them and that he doesn't care for them. And it is a trick of the enemy and as Christians, we have to step in and combat that lie, not add to it. We have to help others with our theology, not hurt them with it. And so with that, I take you back to Romans 8.28 one last time. The team can go ahead and come up. Romans 8.28, Paul says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You still remember our English lesson? Because even if God might not be the cause for everything, Paul has taught us this. Paul has taught us that God is still working in everything. He may or may not cause it. I don't know. I, I can't answer that question for all of you. I don't know. I'm not God. You are not God. But here's what I do know without a, a shadow of a doubt. That in every situation, every struggle, every hardship, 
every pain, every grief, every loss, every failure, in every single thing that you will ever experience in life, God is with you and he is working it for your good. In everything. In everything, God is working for your good. So when you lost that family member, and they used to call all the time, and you used to be able to see them, and they gave you the best advice, and you just loved them, and it was an awesome relationship, but they're not here anymore. And we start to wrestle with that question of why. My prayer is we don't believe a half-hearted truth that everything happens for a reason. That wounds. It's confusing. And it can drive us away from God. But what I pray to be true is that in every single one of those situations, we can cling to the 100% accurate truth of Scripture that God is with you. And He is working in it. And He is moving. And He is providing. And He is protecting. And He will get you through. In everything, God is working for your good. Everything happens for a reason is not toxic theology because it's 100% wrong. Technically, it's not. Everything happens for a reason is toxic theology because it's unhelpful in the moments that we have pain. It's just not helpful. But a healing statement is to come alongside someone. And when they're wrestling with why, to have the humility to take a step back and say, hey, I don't always know. I don't know why you're in this. I don't know why God allowed this. I don't know why this is happening to you. It takes powerful, rooted humility in Christ to say, I don't know. Yet at the same time to say, hey, but in that, God is still working. He's still there. He's still providing. As I finish tonight, I want to give you one last example. It comes from the book of Genesis, and it trails the rest of Scripture. If you're familiar with the story, at the beginning of creation, God made everything. He is creator, and that's amazing. And when he created everything, he made it perfect. I mean, no blemish, exactly as it was meant to be. Yet in Genesis 3, this evil, evil, broken thing happens where the man and the woman, they eat from the tree and they sin against God. And in that moment, sin is entered into the world and it has disrupt, disrupted God's creation. Yet as we wrestle with the reasons things happen, we can see very evidently that that was God's, not God's desire. That they had a personal choice and they made a terrible mistake and we are still paying the price for that. But yet at the same time, we see what Romans 8 is telling us. That as all creation groans and as struggle continues and as hardship goes, God is not absent because he didn't leave Adam and Eve in their sin. He didn't leave you in your sin. He has continued through human history to lead us to this place that on Sunday of next week we will celebrate the resurrection. Because in everything, God is working. In every hardship, from the beginning of time when all of creation broke, He didn't leave us. I mean, that blows my mind that God, when we ruined everything, He was still there walking with them, loving them, caring for them, and he would sacrifice his own son to make it right again. Don't let that grow cold to you this week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your spirit which speaks. I thank you for the baptisms tonight we will now celebrate. I pray that you continue to move in our midst. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.